Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay, Dunedin, and I'm joined from Whakatane by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed, although I thought I'd gotten rid of this thing and it seems to be back. I'm still testing negative, but it's got an after after bite. Is that what you call it? Yes. An after kick. An, an after kick. A long tail, they say. Mm. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, maybe going for a swim yesterday was not the right thing to do. Yeah, especially in the middle of winter. <laughs> no, it was at the pool. It was nice. After oh, the last swim I did, which, which was in the lake at Queenstown, it was glorious being in the pool. <laughs> I bet it was. Mm. Well, hopefully you are finally getting over it now. You sound better anyway. Let's see if I can get through the whole conversation. Who are we introducing today? It is my great pleasure to introduce Kat McMillan. Kat is, uh, comes from a strong, leadership, uh, strong leadership and management background, and she is running for election in our local Eastern Bay Plenty Regional Council elections that are coming up. Um, I've been watching and reading uh, about Kat for a long time now, and I just really admire her commitment to our natural world. So it was an easy, um, an easy decision to to contact her and say, "Will you please let us interview you?" So, Kat, it's really lovely to have you here today, and thanks for joining us. Oh, kia ora karua, and great to be here. Thanks for having me. Welcome, Kat. Kat, we've been asking people how their bubble life was, knowing that that's now turning into history, but we're doing it anyway. How was your bubble yeah. life? It was pretty good, to be honest. I, I say to a lot of people, aren't we lucky in Aotearoa that, um, you know, we have such a beautiful um, environment to be bubbled in. And uh, my family particularly lucky because we live on a lifestyle block. So uh, we have plenty to do, uh, even in level four, you know, because we got um, avocados and we got animals. And um, so we were kept busy obviously working online as well but able to get out there and enjoy the um the land as well and we did a few sort of lockdown projects as a lot of people did we put in some extra planter boxes um made out of um kiwi fruit um crates so um that was our kind of that when we first went into level four and it was all the unknown that was our kind of like right okay well let's get sustainable <laughs> and make sure we've got lots of vegetables to survive on <laughs> so where are you um in tauranga so western bay of plenty um in welcome bay so when people say welcome you say yes that's exactly right yeah, 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 exactly. Actually, my address, I would say to people, it's such a beautiful address. I live on Welcome Bay Road, Welcome Bay in the Bay of Plenty. I mean, you can't get better than that for an address, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, and we moved here from Dingy Street in Grotzville. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. So you were working online. What were you doing? Um, so I contract to a company called Dale Carnegie, which um, I coach management and leadership. So work with a lot of managers and business owners um, in you know lots of different places and lots of different industries. So it's quite nice because it gives me a lens on uh, some industries that I've know nothing about but obviously um it's a sort of the people side of business and the same challenges crop up no matter what industry you're in so um yeah it's been you know i've gone to all sorts of uh, business places like you know timber manufacture to engineering to legal to you name it <laughs> on this show but also in our work working with people doing their um professional practice qualifications <clears throat> we're similarly working with people in practice and we found that the the time of the lockdown and still was i know that the, the term pivot has become overused but people were seriously having to rethink what their practice is about did mm. you find that in, in your work with people and in, in leadership and management yeah, you know, and it's evolved as well, because initially, you know, it was around um, lockdown and, you know, essential workers and all of that sort of stuff. And now it's evolved into staff shortages um, through illness and, you know, uh, and, you know, lack of being able to have people come in from overseas. So at the moment, what I'm finding is, um, yeah, that is a real, real common problem. Uh, people saying we just do not have enough um people in our organization um even more of an issue i think than supply chain of course supply chain is an ongoing issue um and it but it seems to be the actually having them you know the, the resource of people <laughs> um that seems to be the biggest challenge but initially yeah it was like how do we adapt to uh people doing what they can from home and people weren't really set up for that and um what can we do remotely and what can't we do remotely and how can we make people still feel part of a team and all of those issues. Do you think that the pandemic and the response to the pandemic, do you think that that's taught us anything about leadership styles? Are we going to refer to a post-COVID leadership style? Mm, that's an interesting question. I think it's it, what it has brought is a real raw and real aspect to, you know, Yes, there are people behind the job, you know, and I always talk about the person behind the job. It's not the job. It's not the role. It's the person. It's a human being there. And I think COVID has exposed that, you know, I'm seeing news presenters with their kids kind of running in to show mummy something in the middle of, you know, BBC <laughs> News broadcast or whatever. And I think that's fantastic, you know, because I think we spend a lot of our time trying to conform and sort of pretend that we're not actually from the animal kingdom you know we are we're human beings we're part of the animal kingdom and I think you know when anyone who's sort of been through that sort of childbirth experience you've become very up close and personal with that and then the rest of the time it's like here I am in my suit or here I am in my you know high-vis gear or whatever I am in the workplace and it's sort of like well no no we are people fundamentally and and um, we have instincts intuitions emotions and all of those things and I think that's actually been a real positive outcome of COVID that we can't hide from that when we're actually zooming in from somebody's living room. 
and and we've almost stopped doing it that that we're actually even been embracing that yeah 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 you mean sort of continued hybrid working and and or well that that um we've embraced that realization that we're not automaton mm mm yeah and i think that is shaping leadership because um it's giving people I suppose it's empowering people to to shape how their um, workplace future evolves, you know, rather than this sort of top-down, well, we all sit in traffic for an hour and we all stay till five o'clock, even if you have actually cleared your desk that, that day or your your brain is dead and you're actually totally unproductive, but until that clock comes to the top of the hour, you're going to sit at your desk, you know, and it's so... Um, it, it seems insane when you look at it. It's, it seems quite old school when you look at that nine to five model. Um, but there seems to have been this sort of rat race, like got to go to work, got to work hard, got to, you know, stay in the rat race. And, you know, if you want to succeed, you go, you know, you do eight till five, you don't just do nine till five and you sit in that traffic and you get there and you take it for the team. And, and now it's like, well, well, actually, what about this? You know, I always say to people, it's not work-life balance. It's life balance because work is part of life, right? And so it you can have that. And you have to be quite disciplined in that, obviously, because then there's this bleed and this kind of like, oh, where's red of the lines? You know, you kind of have to s- still kind of separate a bit. But I think it is empowering people to say, well, actually, I want my life to look like this and therefore my work can shape this way and of course not for everyone you know if you're if you're an essential worker and you have to be there in a hospital um then it's not so easy to to look at it that way let's take the first of your music choices let's have kanye kanye west school spirit why this one um because it's so fun and i i think you know, this, this song just kind of makes you want to smile and laugh. And I think, you know, sometimes, particularly moving into a political career, you know, it's serious stuff we're dealing with. But let's not take ourselves too seriously. You know, let's actually have a bit of a laugh and a smile as well as we go, because, you know, there's a lot of work to get through and uh, we've got to keep on smiling. This one just makes me smile. School spirit up for number. Alpha step, omega step. Cap a step, sigma step, gangsters walk, pimps gon' talk, ooh, hecky now that boy is raw. AKA step, delta step, SGO step, Zeta step, gangsters walk, pimps gon' talk, ooh, hecky now that boy is raw. I'ma get on this TV, mama. I'ma, I'ma put this down. I'ma make sure these light skinned niggas never, ever, never come back in style. Told them I finished school and I started my own business. They say, oh, you graduated. No, I decided I was finished. Chasing y'all dreams and what you got planned. Now I spit it so hot, you got tan. Back to school and I hate it there, I hate it there. Everything I want, I gotta wait a year, I wait a year. This nigga graduated at the top of our class. I went to Cheesecake, he was up for the month and waited there. Alpha step, Omega step, Kappa step, Sigma step, Gangsters walk, Pimps gon' talk. Ooh, hecky now, that boy is raw. AKA step, Delta step, SG roll step, Zeta step, Gangsters walk. 
pimps gon' talk. Oh, heck you I got a Jones like Nora for your Sora. Bring Mora, them girls I seen in the Aurora. Tammy Beck and your Laura, Aura Shirley. I'm trying to hit it early, like I'm in a hurry. See, that's a Doobie Kane, a young booty tang, tippy tap. Rockefeller chain, yeah, that's my rapper style. Rosary piece, yeah, that's my Catholic style. Red and white ones, yeah, that's my Kappa style. And I ain't even pledged. Crack my head on the steering wheel, and I ain't even dead. If I can go through all that and still be breathing it's been over i'm here for a reason alpha step omega step kappa step sigma step gangsters walk pimps gon' talk oh hecky now that boy is raw aka step delta step sgo step zeta step gangsters walk Pimps gon' talk, ooh, heck you know, that boy is raw. I feel a woo coming on, cuz, I feel a woo coming on, cuz, there was. I feel some woos coming on, cuz, a couple woos coming on, cuz, there they was. I feel a woo coming on, cuz, I feel a woo coming on, cuz, there was. A couple woos coming on, cuz, a couple woos coming on, cuz, there they was. What our listeners won't know is that behind your head, uh, on your video, is um, are a lot of medals. What are the medals for? Well, those ones are running medals. Um, so things like half marathons, there's a marathon in there, a lot of train uh, trail run uh, medals, and they're a combination of mine and my husband's. And it's actually actually my main sport's always been horse riding, but over the last three years, sort of just a year before lockdown, really. Both of us really got into running and now we're kind of running addicts and uh, we managed to cram in a whole load of events in between sort of events being cancelled and locked down. But at the moment, I'm, I'm running for council. I'm also running for a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's, they, they go quite well together because, um, you know, you can sort of get bogged down in um you know the the sort of academic side of what you're doing and then go for a run and blow the cobwebs away so even though sometimes you feel it's relentless because you're always running for something <laughs> um <laughs> i think the blend is awesome and of course it keeps you fit and healthy as well that's a good thing why council what has inspired you to do this um well it's interesting because Throughout my life, people have always said to me, oh, Kat, you should go into politics. And I've always sort of said, oh, oh no, you know, uh, uh, politics isn't my space. And over the last sort of, I suppose, number of years, seems to be all the arrows have pointed me to um, to politics and particularly the regional council, because that's the environment council, you know, uh, air, land, uh, water and the ocean and my passion is about the environment and you know sustainability into the future and so uh it was almost like i i guess everything led me to a point where i felt like actually now i need to embrace this and then since starting on the, the journey i feel like yeah this feels really the right space 
for me. Um, so initially I was like a bit daunted thinking, oh, I don't know, you know, and certainly the idea of having to have things like billboards with your mugshot <laughs> all around the town and your friends having to see that. I was like, oh, that, oh. But now I suppose it's just part of it is the campaigning. And really, I just want to get in there and do the mahi. That's exciting. There's, um, it, it's been quite an interesting political space in Tauranga, um, looking at what happened in the district council where the government had to intervene and uh, put mm. um, a committee in charge of, a, of the councillors. And then there's there's a strong feeling around the community that some of those councillors who who contributed to that upset are now going to run for the regional council. So it, is that something that bothers you? Are you concerned about it being at the table with those people who are just there to float their own agenda, I suppose? Yeah, yeah. And I think that is challenging, you know, um, it certainly sort of daunt, daunts me the idea that, um, you know, there might be some people out there that have um, perhaps their own agendas that, you know, we'd like to think that that wouldn't be the case, but um, perhaps there are. And, um, yeah, it will be a challenge working with people that perhaps don't share my values or don't, you know, or, or even overlap at all in, in my values framework. I think um, that is part of the challenge of politics as well and being particularly local government. I think it's inevitable that not everyone is going to be of the same mindset. Um, you know, I suppose for me, you know, just I could just go and work for Greenpeace and then everyone would be on the same page, you know. But uh, being in a political space, it's, it's certainly not going to be like that. So, yeah, there will be compromises that... Um, that will be happening and I think some challenging from what I've heard and, and not you know not even just in the Bear Plenty but even around the country local politics can be quite a challenging space in terms of people's behaviours um, and even particularly even just being female you know can be a challenge I've heard um, so of course I haven't yet experienced that because I'm not elected in yet but I've been uh, I've been advised to brace myself <laughs> And be resilient. And, um, you know, I, I think I am a pretty resilient person, but I'm also human and I'm also, you know, sensitive as well. So I think there are going to be times where it's going to be tough. Yeah. When you think about um, the way that the bad penny is being impacted by climate change at the moment, do you think that our regional council is on the right track um, or do you think they can be doing more in that climate change space? I think there's I think there's a lot more that can be done. I think there's good intention there and there's a lot of good work going on. Um, and I think we can, you know, we can do more and more to improve that. You know, I mean, the, the public transport system as it is, isn't really um, hitting the mark with with the community. So we need to uh, transform that. Um, rather than just adding one or two more buses and hoping that people start getting in them, it needs to be transformative. And, um, you know, we really meet, need to make it happen for the community, that things that people want that are actually going to be easy to use so that we are reducing carbon emissions. Um, you know, there's there are a lot of there are a lot of things that you think 
yeah, we, we could be doing a lot better. And um, certainly putting budget behind those things where you're looking at, um, you know, sustainable farming practice, you're looking at planting, riparian management, restoring wetlands, um, all of those things and, and prioritising money into those because biodiversity are also, are also linked to climate change, you know, marine reserves as well, protecting our oceans. Um, so it's ongoing and there's some good work being done, but I, I reckon we can definitely do a lot more. And if we look at it in a uh, future generations lens, you know, sustainability into the future, then to me, some things are almost black and white. Like, for example, it doesn't really make sense for me to be funding $50 million from regional council into a stadium, which to me is almost like a trophy project when um, when we've got a lot more environmental protection to do and we've got um, to revolutionise our public transport system, it kind of seems like it's an aside nice to have, but what's it doing for future generations? Thinking about public transport, because um, I did a bit of work, uh, um, I guess it was last year, um, uh, to uh, lobby for free buses during the school hours so that we could actually right. get our kids on buses and that was successful we got that in Fakatani, which they previously had said no way are we having that in Fakatani, but now we have that the problem is nobody uses it <laughs> so how do we get people to move away from the car mentality and onto these lovely buses that we've got doing a predictable circuit around the community how do we move people yeah, so, I mean, as I sort of mentioned, that sort of transformative. So one thing that's been really successful around the world is on-demand um, mobility service. So that is a bit like how we might call an Uber. Um, you know, we have an app, and the app tells us where um, where the nearest thing is that's going past. Um, and so rather than these big buses going round and round in set circuits and, and hoping they might pick up a few people, it's actually uh, interactive. So it's on demand and smaller, um, smaller buses that can actually get into uh, get closer to people's doorsteps um, and then linking that with a rapid trans transit system where you've got corridors. Um, so for Tauranga, you know, there might be four corridors where um, you've got a bus lanes, um, potentially light rail as well, where you're just zipping through. So you, this on demand might be smaller. Um, they're almost, you know, almost like a minibus thinking minibus type thing. They go all around. So community to community. So, um, you know, if you want to go from this part of the community to that part of the community, you might only go on an on-demand little bus. But if you're trying to get across town, then you hit the rapid transit um, buses, the bigger buses that are just going up and down in more or less straight lines. And that way, you everyone can access and you can get to work faster. Because I think until people can get to work quickly using public transport, even though owning a car is more expensive, they're still going to opt for the car. So we need to make the service so that it's reliable, it's quick, it's efficient, and it comes near to your doorstep. Um, so you might only walk five or six minutes and then there's one of these on-demand things. You can see where it is and you hop on it there. 
Um, so it's kind of connecting communities. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's been researched and proven to work. So I, I know some people say, well, Tauranga is not a grid city. I mean, I'm talking about Tauranga because I live it. Of course, regional council is the whole of the Bay of Plenty. But um, taking Tauranga as an example, it's an estuary city. We've got the, you know, we've got the ocean, the port, the estuary. Like people describe it as an octopus in, in terms of infrastructure building. But that's where these on-demand things can weave around and go to where people need them. So there's ways around everything. You know, some people say, oh, public transport only works if you've got a grid like New York or, or London. But that that's not true. <laughs> and we do have a small population, but um, it, there are small populations that can work with public transport as well. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mi aroha nui, kia koutou ko tahohau. I hope you're all happy to stay, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope wherever you are, what's happening around this journey that we're all on to is proving to be very rewarding, very sustained and illuminating for you more and who you are, the triumph of nature's art, unique and he making better. Thank you. I know that for us all, the last more than two and a half years have been very hard. There's been so many shifts and changes that we've had to navigate. And this is why it's so important that at all times we are remembering to be kind and compassionate to ourselves and to each other as we find new ways of doing big feeling. And it is a fascinating time to be alive. There's so much work going into making things better for us all. Thank goddesses and gods. Thank the infinite universe. And there's so much to be hopeful about and grateful for. Of course, we live at a time when our external and internal universes are very much manipulated and affected by the media and various stories that are coming our way. And of course, social media, all these things. But it's so important to remember that fundamentally, as a species, we are tool users and tool creators. And these technologies and these processes of communication and information sharing and are yet other examples of tools. And if we can take a step back emotionally from the barrage, we can, I hope, gain a sense perspective on these stories and the peculiarly unhelpful at times narratives. I know for myself, of course, that the living world, the natural world, is always a huge comfort and reminds us of our own nature, our own innate gifts and talents, our own cycles of growth and, and change that are taking place all the time, whether we're conscious of it. And of course, right now, we find ourselves in the depths of winter, a lot of rain and wind. And at my heart's home workplace, Orokanui, this means... The mighty fence of fence is having to be very carefully monitored. Trees are falling down, tracks have to be closed. And the wildlife itself is hunkering down and doing this to stay warm and not being seen as much. So I think for all of us we can relate to this, that at this time of year it is a time for us to really reflect and nurture ourselves, care for ourselves, find ways each day in which we can feel warm and well and protected and of course extend this generosity and compassion 
and care to those around us, giving one another the time and space to pause and reflect, giving them the time and space to gently recharge and calibrate in the face of this cold snap and acknowledging that in time now that we are past the shortest day the light is returning the warmth is returning and we have so much to look forward to when it is sunny when it is warm of course there's so much beauty to be encountered out in the living world to connect with and I'm really looking forward to venturing forth and having whole days uninterrupted nature connection So I really hope that for you, you have lots to look forward to and you're also allowing yourself the time and the space that you need to recharge as we move through these sites that's around. And I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Kat McMillan. Kat, the theme of this show is positive but not deluded, although we've been convinced over the last few weeks to add a dash of deluded. Where does a positive mindset fit in for you? Um, Well, actually, interesting you say that because I just did a little video post on my social media about that exact thing. And um, because I suppose one of my values is to be relentlessly positive. And I think in politics, we can waste a huge amount of time with uh, with negativity and throwing, um, you know, other other people's agendas under the bus and. Um, you know, naming and shaming and all of those below the line sort of behaviours. And I think actually for progression, progression links directly with positivity. Um, you know, something um, Dale Carnegie actually said is enthusiasm is the little known secret of success. And I, I'm a really enthusiastic person. I have a lot of energy and I'm sort of high drive enthusiasm. And I think... Um, that's you know positivity comes in with enthusiasm and I think we need that to you know to get through the times we're in to actually move into the future um, because sometimes there's a lot of doom and gloom obviously you know we hear a lot of doom and gloom and you know I think even in the last 48 hours some people who haven't really been concerned about climate change suddenly seeing London on fire um, and those images and videos are, are like, well, mm, yeah, maybe this is going to hit us quicker than we realise. And maybe in my lifetime, I am going to be impacted. And um, of course, a lot of that, a lot of us have, have been saying that for a long time. But um, it's it would be um, if we lost the positivity with that, then we probably would do nothing about it. And that's where I think. Um, progress and positivity are completely interlinked we've had over the last couple of years a a, an awful lot of uncertainty and that's it's kind of culminating in what people are describing as perfect storms of all the things coming in it would be easy to think that the thing to do was to hunker down but you seem but but you but you seem to be describing a future that's not about hunkering down yeah, and I think sometimes we all feel like wanting to do that, right? You know, just um, hide away or, or, or just go sailing on a boat and um, and not worry about it all, you know. But um, I think we I think we do have hope, and and I think it's not just hope. You know, even with science behind us, there are 
lots of things we can do. Um, sometimes it feels like, gosh, you know, to get shifting governments and shifting multinationals into the right zone before, you know, the, the temperature degrees go up to two degrees or whatever is, is almost impossible. But I think um, I think there is there are lots of actions we can take and we and we can get places by doing them. So so therefore, I think it's not uh, burying our head in, sand, in the sand it is not the right thing to do. We have to hope that we can have an impact, but lots of that perfect storm is stuff beyond our control. Um, mm. and, and we hear things like there's no point us doing anything about climate change until China changes. What mm. do you see as that the role of New Zealand communities to actually do something? I think we can be role models as a country. You know, what's sort of a little bit ironic with, with Aotearoa is we have actually had that image um, of being the clean, green country. And I remember, you know, when I, I come from the UK and when I lived in the UK and uh, talked about, oh, we, you know, we're going to emigrate to New Zealand. People go, oh, wow, New Zealand, they've got everything right, haven't they? They're so green and clean. And, you know, from an eco-friendly perspective, they make all these cool stuff like mountain buggy and all the good outdoor gear comes from New Zealand. You know, they're so cool. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then when you come here and you see, you know, uh, the destruction from, you know, livestock, agriculture, dairy farming, monoculture, um, you know, it's kind of a meat and two veg and uh, let's spray all our waterways with Roundup and, um, you know, just, just everything that you see in terms of the destruction of the environment here and gas guzzling utes and, you know, let's all just, you know, drive everywhere, uh, you know, lack of cycleways, lack, lack of footpaths. And you think, gosh, you know, that that is a myth. And I know some travellers before COVID did blow it out of the water and did actually sort of say, look, you've got this badge, but you don't you don't deserve the badge. And so I think what we can do as a as a nation is role model best practice. And we're small enough that we we can be pretty adaptable. And, you know, you mentioned the word pivot being overused and that. But it is a pivotal moment. And we can actually bounce, pivot and be resilient and adaptable and showcase what is actually possible. And let's not leave it to the, the small European countries. Let's do it ourselves, you know. You described an almost dystopian vision there but there will be people around the council table who will see all of those things that you described as the utopia that, that we've increased production on the farms that this that this is this is beneficial how do you mm. see yourself working with those sorts of people have you got any for, for tricks for being productive when when people are at polar opposites yeah, and I think one way is not just to argue, you know, till the cows come home. It's about finding a solution. So for me, having that solution-focused mindset to say, look, we can, we do need to do better. These are the parameters we've got with with climate and with biodiversity. So um, we can do things better. How are we going to do this together? And then, you know, good consultation, um, you know, with the right people around the table um and um i think yeah if we just antler lock then it's getting nowhere you know and i think probably if i'd been in my 20s i would have been antler locking i would have 
being like, no, you know, everyone should be plant-based diet and we, we've got to do this and, you know, end factory farming before it ends us. And those are all kind of values that I have personally. But by me sitting around the table saying, you know, end livestock agriculture is not going to get me anywhere. And um, we need to be supportive of our farmers who work very hard and help them to transition to a sustainable uh, food production future. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it, by by collaborating and by working together for something we know needs to change and being supportive and listening is the only way forward. You described London being on fire at the moment. Do you think that we can take anything from the pandemic and our response to the pandemic for those bigger sorts of challenges we face as a global society and I'm thinking of obviously climate change but biodiversity social injustice yeah I think one one of the learnings is we've actually been uh we've been able to um, mobilize and move really quickly with you know things that have been potentially quite frightening like nobody's allowed to go more than x amount of meters from their home sort of thing and nobody can go to workplace and if someone had said to that to any of us five years ago, we would have said, nah, that unless we were in an actual war, um, nuclear war or, or war, we wouldn't, no one would tell us, no government would be able to tell us to do that. We wouldn't do it. And I think what we can learn is actually we can adapt pretty quickly. And I think that is a real key learning with climate change because we we don't have to stick with the norm. I mean, going back to farmers, farmers have been so resilient and changed all through the times, all through the ages. It's, you know, there is some tradition there, but actually they've been probably the most adaptable of all industries. You know, um, dairy farming wasn't even here. Farming has sort of grown exponentially over recent years, you know. So it's not, you know, farmers have adapted and we can adapt in other ways too, you know. Um, So I think being adaptable yeah i think we can take that learning from covid definitely not in your area but i saw on the news the other day some farmers in uh, mid canterbury who whose land is um becoming beach as in uh, as in ocean not forest and right. yeah. there was very much an air of the regional council of government needs to fix this and, and and we see the same thing with rivers all the time, that, that people are yeah. living too close to rivers, trying to do stuff with rivers that, that they clearly shouldn't be. If you're living on a floodplain, there's, there's not a lot that we can do about it. Yeah. How do you think that we can actually take those hard those hard calls and, and make those those difficult questions, those difficult um, decisions and communicate them in a way that people buy into? Yeah, I think um, this is where science does back up, you know, evidence-based. When you look at the evidence and you say, well, actually, it's not viable to have that farm there anymore. It's actually not viable to uh, financially prop up growing a community in that area of, you know, floodplain or whatever. It's really hard to swallow for the people that have invested in those sorts of areas, Um but if you look at it again with a future generations lens, I mean, or a sustainability lens, but if you think about future generations, you know, our Mokapuna, you put that lens over it, you say, well, that they're not going to be able to be there in 
50 years time. So why are we patching them up with band-aids now? Why don't we transition now, which is very costly, but if we put that lens across it for our Mokapuna, we have to do it now. Otherwise we're just throwing good money off to bad. So I think that's where the science, you know, there's been a lot of kind of either warping the science or ignoring the science um, and the science is evidence-based and we need to look at the science and go, it's not viable and it's not going to be viable in 30 years' time. We can Band-Aid it now, but are we going to Band-Aid when it's even worse and, you know, more money? Let's squeeze in the second of your music choices. Let's have Mikus Theodorakis, Zorba the Greek, Zorba's Dance. Why this one? Well, actually, my, my dad's Greek, so uh, I'm from Crete as, as well as England, and um, this is pretty much played all throughout my childhood. Any restaurant, taverna, um, shop, even tourist shop, on the boats, um, that was my childhood. So this one is kind of like, yeah, going home, I suppose. <laughs> my home's here now, but it kind of harks back to that that upbringing of a lot of sunshine, Mediterranean climate, boats, ocean, beach, and that was my childhood.
Kat, we've seen lots of change in society over the last couple of years. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? I think, um, you know, talk, talking about climate change, the fact that people now are realising it is real um, is, is, you know, it's daunting for people, but it's positive. And I think there's people now really are, on the whole, seeking things that are environmentally conscious, you know. And, of course, what comes with that is a whole load of greenwashing from, <laughs> from uh, you know, from production and, and, and business. But people are even sniffing out those rats now, you know. Um, I think what would be great is this, uh, this, you know, people wanting to seek to do the right thing, which is what's happening now, and then actually making it affordable so that it's not exclusive to people on, you know, higher incomes, that everybody can make the right choices and not have to, um, you know, make an um, emotional choice they don't want to make, but only because they can only afford something that's going to damage the planet or, you know, go in, go to landfill and break in six months' time because they can't afford one that's more sustainable and so, yeah, that's what I'd like to see, the shaping of human goodwill into viability and affordability. I have some questions to end the show and not very much time, so we're going to have to wriggle. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, <laughs> um, I suppose moving away because I, I, I work for myself and uh, I'd always been in employment and great successes with my employed career, you know, um, and I suppose making that shift to go, you can be independent, you don't have to have a fixed salary, you can actually uh, put more into your volunteering time, more into knowing what's going on politically and all of those things by having the versatility of being self-employed. And I suppose that has actually um you know sort of pushed me into the space I'm in now because I've had the options to go and have meeting coffees with people from the community in the middle of the day and things which um so it was challenging because it, I lost the stability of a you know you know what's coming in your bank account each week um so it was quite a uncomfortable space but I'd say it's a real achievement for me to stick to it because there were times where I thought oh maybe I should just go back and get a management job and then I was like no 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 stick at it stick at it <laughs> yeah so we are writing a book of these conversations it's called tomorrow's heroes it's our team of people doing good work so you are in that team what's your superpower you. my superpower I suppose uh enthusiasm and energy Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Uh, uh, at heart, I am, although I know in politics you can't be an activist. So, yeah, in my heart, I am. Are you selling out then? <laughs> yeah. Was the decision to stand for council, was that a... Uh, sort of a, a long, a slow burn, evolving decision, or was it a eureka moment? Well, it felt like Lowen's slow burn in that there was floating around in the ether for a while, but then when it landed, it was like, oh, yeah, like crystal clear, bang, that's what I need to do. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? 
I think it's my passion for uh, for the environment, for animals, for the planet, for people. And what's the biggest challenge or opportunity that you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Uh, getting on council, I think, you know, this campaign, I just want it out the way and just get in there, as I said, to just get on with the mahi. But, um, you know, going through a campaign, a political campaign is you just never know who's going to turn out and vote, you know, and vote voter turnout is, uh, you know, sort of known to be low for local government. So I'd love it if more young people got out and voted. I'd love it if more people got out and voted, more Maori people um, but we don't, I don't know who's going to turn out on the day. Um, and just, yeah, hoping that those will turn out and vote for me. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, I'd say uh, keep positive about the future and do your bit. There's lots of actions you can make, everyday actions that are not, they're not going to cost you more money. Um, and they'll put you in the right space. And if we all do our bit, then no matter what happens on the big scale, where we know we're making a difference and we can be happy um, and positive in that. And enjoy the environment. Get out there. Get, you know, uh, get out there and enjoy this beautiful country we have here. There's so much we can just relish in. Let's not spend too much time sat at our desks or inside. Get out and enjoy it. Thank you for because that. I think if we're, if we're in touch with nature, we really start to value it. Yeah, yeah. Kat, thank you for your time today. I've really enjoyed, um, I think just your, you've just got a lovely approach to life and I think we'd be super lucky to have you on our regional council. So all the best for that run and for all your other running. Uh, and thank you for your time today and thanks for being so open and sharing with us. Kia ora. Kia ora, thanks so much. It's been great to be here. Thank you. E mara maneki au Tutaki taki mai kweti ahau Ka whakamana waru E tamiharo Ka peneiti a koutou katoa Ua kina o mata Ai koa e kumau i tenei te akaha Te matau e te tīnana Oh, te hanga o te atua E ki a nei, a nei mihi maira Mo te tai te raiunga Oe ano hei, a nei mihi maira E atua tipua tangata Nga wai ngā konu i te rangi I hiki paku ke koe naira Mo kariri te pōna wai te ahi i whanako Aneira, Tsitsiro! Oh, ka herengi a te rā Mihi maira, kia kume aroa te awatea Ka hopuki a te hau Mihi maira, ngā hera me ngā rākau Ta kua hei ngā nei, mihi maira Mo ngā moutere kua hiake Hei aharata Tanumia, te
You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their levels, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We are broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday and Friday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Perky Taylor. And from Welcome Bay in Tauranga, we've been joined by Kat McMillan. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Matiwa.